0: volume three chapter eighteen of the widow barnaby by francis milton trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eighteen a retrospect and conclusion mr willoughby was less punctual to his appointment than colonel hubert and as the young nora weary with her journey and exhausted from the excitement of the scenes which followed it had not yet left her bed he too had the advantage of a -a tete-a-tete it is needless to enter upon any minute repetition of a narrative which had in fact little or no connection with the personages of our drama it was evident that mr willoughby had suffered much both from the early loss of his fair young wife and the continued hostility or more properly speaking the continued neglect of his family he had exchanged into a regiment sent on a dangerous and disagreeable service and with broken spirits and failing health might very likely have perished before it was ended had not his good gifts very suddenly made captive the affections of a young girl almost as pretty as poor sophia compton and quite as rich as she was the contrary this marriage converted him into the only son and heir of a wealthy merchant all his new family required of him in exchange for their daughter and their wealth was that he should live amongst them this he consented to do but his life was not a happy one with the prospect of great possessions before him he was kept in almost penniless dependence upon his father-in-law all his wants indeed profusely supplied but with no more power to assist in the maintenance of the child he had left in england than if he had been a slave chained to the oar for sixteen years he had led this painful life of penniless splendour in the course of which he was again left a widower with one little girl but though his existence in his father-in-law's family had lost its only charm by this event he was prevented from making any effort to change it as much by his total inability to support himself elsewhere as by a consideration for the interest of his child as she grew up he began once more to feel that life was not altogether a bore and a burden and at length his passive submission to years of wearying annoyance was rewarded by finding himself at the death of the generous but tyrannical mr grafton the possessor of a handsome life-income and the sole guardian of the young heiress his daughter it was then that for the first time he felt disposed to recall himself to the memory of those he had left behind in england and the desire to do so became so strong that he lost no time in finally arranging his affairs in the country of his exile and taking his departure for europe for the sake of having a friend as commander of the ship in which he sailed he took his passage for havre and once landed on the coast of france he yielded to Nora's entreaties that they should pass a few weeks at paris before they left it his accidental meeting with mr Stevenson there was then related and its consequences as it respected his daughter and their journey home together concluded his narration your romance mr willoughby replied miss compton appears likely to come to a very happy conclusion but i confess i wonder that never during your sixteen years of what appears to have been very perfect leisure you could never have found time to make any single inquiry about your little agnes and i wonder at it too miss compton but it is more easy to recall the feelings that led to this than to explain them i believe that the total impossibility of my transmitting any share of the wealth amidst which i lived to a child whom i had great reason to fear might want it was the primary cause of it and then came the hope that at no very distant day my inquiries for her might be made in a manner less torturing to my feelings than by acknowledging myself to be alive in circumstances of high-fed pauperism without the power of relieving any wants however pressing with which my inquiries might happen to make me acquainted had i known that you miss compton had adopted my little girl i should not so long have suffered her to believe me dead because i had not the power of making my being alive a source of joy to her whether miss compton thought this apology a good one or the reverse does not appear for all the branches of the party who so unexpectedly met together at the house of lady elizabeth norris continued from that time forward to live on terms of the most agreeable amity together and perhaps the only symptom by which some little feeling of disapprobation might have been perceived was miss compton's begging to decline on the part of all interested mr willoughby's proposal of insuring his life for ten thousand pounds as a portion for his eldest daughter i do assure you sir there is no occasion for it said the little spinster with great good humour but also with a very evident intention of having her own way i believe that if you will mention this subject to colonel hubert or to lady elizabeth norris his aunt you will find that they both agree with me in thinking such a sacrifice of income on your part quite unnecessary and decidedly unwise your sisters have not behaved to you kindly but they have connected themselves well and i believe we all think it would be more advantageous to both your daughters that their favour should be propitiated by your appearing before them in a style which may show you have no need of their assistance and by anything else you can do for them the young ladies are both about to marry well and with fortunes very fairly proportioned to those of their respective husbands and any family coolness with such near relations as lady Eastcombe and the honourable mrs nivett would be both disadvantageous and disagreeable my noble sisters will be vastly well disposed to welcome me now miss compton i have little doubt replied mr willoughby with as much asperity as he was capable of feeling for any offence committed against him and i confess to you that the reconciliation would be particularly agreeable to me from the power your generous adoption of my poor girl gives me now of proving to them that my marriage with sophia compton was not such a connection as to merit the severity with which they have treated it i have no sort of objection to your proving this to them in any manner that you please replied miss compton and i rather think the most effectual mode of doing so will be by permitting the portion of agnes to be furnished by sophia compton's aunt five thousand then let it be miss compton five thousand settled upon younger children said mr willoughby no sir persisted the old lady it must not be if you please the property of compton bassett with the name and a sum of money withal sufficient considerably to add and to improve the estate will be settled by me on the second son of your daughter agnes lady elizabeth on the part of her nephew adds ten thousand pounds to the settlement on younger children which together with my property will of course belong to agnes for her life i hope sir this statement will satisfy you respecting the provision to be made for miss willoughby and prevent your feeling any further anxiety on the subject it was impossible mr willoughby could declare himself dissatisfied and from this time he ventured no further allusion to the scheme of insuring his life preparations for the two marriages now immediately began and the interval necessary to the completion of settlements and the building of carriages and dresses was at the earnest request of agnes to be spent at clifton she loved the place for it was identified in her memory with the first sight of hubert and she often declared that there was no spot on the earth's surface she should ever love so well as that little esplanade behind the windmill on which colonel hubert first offered her his arm without deeming it necessary to utter a word of explanation for doing so the vicinity of mary peters too was another reason and no trifling one for this partiality and as not one of the party had any point of reunion to plead for in preference it was there that several weeks of present enjoyment and happy anticipation were passed it was about midway between the time at which everything was settled between the lovers their beloveds and all parents friends and guardians interested therein and the happy day on which the double espousals were celebrated that mr and mrs peters invited the whole party to dinner no strangers were permitted to disturb the freedom of the society thus assembled at dinner though to gratify lady elizabeth's love of music one or two proficients in that science were invited for the evening the gentlemen who probably thought the society in the drawing-room more agreeable than that of good mr peters even though backed by his excellent wine were already partaking coffee with the ladies when a reduplicated knocking announced the arrival of visitors the chamberlains i suppose said mrs peters how very early they are but she was mistaken it was not the chamberlains for a footman threw wide the drawing-room door and announced mr and mrs O'Donagough mr and mrs who said mrs peters to mary mr and mrs what said elizabeth to lucy but before the parties thus questioned could have found time to answer even had they possessed of the information required a lady in sober-coloured silk with little rouge and no ringlets followed by a handsome young man in black entered the room and considerably before many who had seen that lady before could recall the name by which they had known her or reconcile her much-changed appearance to their puzzled recollections mrs peters was enfolded in her arms my dear sister peters said mrs o'donagough you are surrounded by so large a party that i fear these last moments which i meant to dedicate to the affection of my kinsfolk may be more inconvenient than pleasurable to you But you cannot i am sure refuse me some portion of your society this evening as it is probably the last one we shall ever pass together give me leave sister peters to introduce you to my husband the reverend mr o'donagough mr peters mr o'donagough mr james peters mr o'donagough mr o'donagough my dear mary my husband young ladies mr o'donagough my dear elizabeth and lucy good heaven agnes here and my aunt compton too well so much the better my dear patrick i shall now have the pleasure of presenting you to more relations and as i should be proud to introduce you to all the world this can only be an increase of pleasure to me agnes willoughby my dear i can't say you behaved very well to me when the cheerful sort of life i indulged in solely on your account was changed for sorrow and imprisonment but nevertheless my religious principles which are stronger my dear than even when you knew me lead me to forgive you and better still they lead me to introduce you to your excellent and exemplary uncle the reverend mr during the whole course of these speeches not a single voice had been heard to pronounce a syllable in reply excepting that of mr peters who put his heels together and made a bow when she paused husband in hand before him and said your servant sir but agnes when her turn came though colouring most painfully at being so addressed and with her heart sinking under the unexampled annoyance of this intrusion contrived to say i hope i see you well aunt yes miss agnes well and happy too i promise you and i wish you were likely to be as well settled child as i am but i should like to know who it has come forward with money to dress you up so you have not been singing on the stage i hope your uncle would be dreadfully shocked at such a thing for he says that stage-plays are an abomination and upon my word aunt compton you are grown mighty smart too in your old age mercy on me vanity of vanities all is vanity and then looking into the inner room and perceiving that she had several more acquaintances there she again took her husband by the hand and led him into it presenting him to lady elizabeth her niece colonel hubert and the two stephensons but when she came to mr willoughby who was standing with his youngest daughter at a window she stopped and looking at him very earnestly seemed puzzled he bowed though evidently without knowing her and then turning from her unpleasantly curious scrutiny resumed his conversation with Nora. i beg your pardon sir said mrs o'donagough but i should really be very much obliged if you would tell me your name my name madam is willoughby gracious heaven exclaimed the bride o'donagough dearest this is an eventful day indeed behold your brother the two gentlemen stared at each other with an expression of countenance more indicative of surprise than of fraternal affection mr willoughby indeed looked very much as if he suspected that the poor lady be she who she would was decidedly not in her right mind while her husband rather weary perhaps of such a continuity of introductions escaped from her side and stationed himself at another window willoughby dearest willoughby is it possible that you can have forgotten me can you indeed have forgotten the sister of your wife miss martha is it possible i beg your pardon mrs donagough i certainly did not recollect you I hope that I have the pleasure of seeing you well. My dearest Willoughby, you have no idea how exceedingly delighted I am to see you. What has become of you all this time? I always supposed that you had been sold for a slave on the coast of Barbary, and I thank God and my excellent husband. Where is he? I am sure the Reverend Mr. O'Donagough will thank God for your escape. And who is that pretty young lady? Dear me she looks very much as if she was the daughter of your cruel master and had fallen in love with you and set you at liberty poor sophy one could not expect you should remember her for ever even i you see have forced myself to forget my poor dear mr barnaby but now i think of it you can't know anything about mr barnaby do my dear willoughby sit down with me on this sofa and let us have a talk it was impossible for mr willoughby to refuse even had he wished it which he really did not and the perfect security of being welcome which mrs o'donagough displayed in her manner of establishing herself in some sort obliged mrs peters to act as if she were so the different groups which had been deranged by her entrance resumed their conversation coffee and tea included the intruders in its round and everybody excepting miss compton seemed once more tolerably at their ease she could not affect to recover her equanimity like the rest but placing a low chair immediately behind the sofa on which lady elizabeth's tall figure was placed she sat down so as to be completely concealed by her saying will your ladyship have the great kindness to let me hide myself here that horrible woman is i confess it my own brother's daughter but she is no matter what she is i am much to blame no doubt but i hate to look upon her put yourself quite at your ease miss compton replied lady elizabeth laughing i have not the least difficulty in the world in comprehending your feelings in you she has conquered the feeling of relationship in me an instinct stronger still perhaps namely that of finding amusement in absurdity but i almost think she has cured me of my menagerie caprice for ever yet it is difficult too not to enjoy the spectacle she offers with her young husband in her hand but i don't mean to lose my music for her miss peters my dear pray set your pianoforte going this hint was immediately obeyed and proved extremely conducive to the general ease good-natured mr peters entered into conversation with the reverend missionary and soon learnt both his destination and the interesting fact that he and his bride were to sail from the port of bristol the day but one following this he judiciously took an opportunity of speedily communicating to his lady who took care that it should not long remain a secret to any individual present excepting mr willoughby who continued in too close conversation with his sister-in-law to permit his being made a sharer in the general feeling of satisfaction which this information produced even miss compton on hearing it declared that if the bride were really going to set off immediately for botany bay there to remain for the term of her natural life she thought she should be able to look at her for the rest of the evening with great philosophy and in proof of her sincerity she moved her place and seated herself beside her friend lady elizabeth more than half inclined to share in the amusement which notwithstanding her good resolutions that facetious lady seemed inclined to take in contemplating the newly-married pair the conversation meanwhile between the two old acquaintances went on with considerable interest on both sides mr willoughby again related his adventures and introduced his pretty daughter and then recurring once more to silverton mrs o'donagough said in an accent that betokened considerable interest in the question willoughby can you tell me anything about your old friend Tate? i have heard nothing of him of late years but of course you know that he married his cousin miss temple very soon after we left silverton very soon said mrs o'donagough with a sigh yes my dear sister replied willoughby with a melancholy smile it is not often that a heart's lost in country quarters fail to return to the losers as they march out of the town happily both for the boys and girls concerned but few such adventures end as mine did happily indeed for me replied the bride with a toss of her head for aught i know tate may be alive now and the happy wife of o'donagough may well rejoice that no such thraldom was the consequence of captain tate's presumptuous attachment though mr peters was really very civil and though mr james joined for several minutes in the conversation it is probable that the reverend missionary did not enjoy it so much as his lady did listening to mr willoughby for at an early hour he told her it was time to take leave she instantly obeyed and began making her circular farewell a ceremony of rather an embarrassing nature to many of the party for out of the fifteen persons she left in the room she kissed eight lady elizabeth sir edward and lady stephenson colonel hubert and frederick being permitted to escape without even an attempt at joining them in this valedictory greeting and miss compton rising at her approach making her by far the lowest courtesy her knees ever performed in a manner which effectually averted it from herself mrs o'donagough's departure from england was a great blessing to all the connections she left behind for had she continued within reach of them it is hardly possible but some annoyance would have been the consequence as it was however sorrow seemed to depart with her for seldom does so large a portion of happiness as fell to the lot of those she had formerly tormented attend the career of any colonel hubert although he actually did very soon become a general never again felt any alarm on the score of his age but had the happiness of knowing that he was beloved with all the devoted tenderness that his heart desired and his noble character deserved agnes never ceased to glory in her choice and loved nothing better than to make aunt betsy confess that her great-nephew notwithstanding his being a general was more like a hero than any other man she had ever seen miss compton lived to see an extremely fine lad called compton hubert compton becoming so fond of the fields and pheasants of compton bassett as to leave her no rest till she had persuaded the trustees of the settlement she had made to expend the money in their hands upon the purchase of some neighbouring lands including the manner in which they were situated and the converting of the old roomy farmhouse into a residence which she confessed to be worthy of the representative of the ancient compton race this alteration indeed took place several years before the old lady died and it was at compton bassett thus metamorphosed that she had the pleasure of observing to mrs wilmot that the conversation they had held on that spot together had not been altogether without effect Mr. Willoughby and his elegant sisters become perfectly reconciled, a circumstance extremely agreeable to Lady Elizabeth Norris, as it gave her repeated opportunities of convincing herself that the nose of her niece, Mrs. General Hubert, was decidedly an improvement upon that of the Honourable Miss nivett though the family resemblance was sufficiently remarkable. Frederick and Nora were as gay and happy a couple as ever enjoyed ten thousand a year together occasionally of course they were in debt as all people of ten thousand a year must be but on the whole they contrived to bring matters round wonderfully well and as their property was fortunately settled and sir edward happened to die without children their family of six sons and six daughters were left at last very tolerably provided for mrs o'donagough's voyage to england was quite as agreeable as such a voyage generally is and on arriving she was greatly consoled for any little inequalities in her young husband's temper by the great success of his preaching for at least six months after their arrival he was more in the fashion than any gentleman of any profession had ever been before but at the end of that time the reverend preacher unfortunately was present at a horse-race upon which the recondite wisdom of the fable which treats of a cat turned into a woman must have become manifest to every reflecting mind acquainted with the circumstances of mr donagough's early life for no sooner did the race begin than almost unconsciously he offered a bet to one of his congregation who stood near him and before the end of the day he was seen mounted in a blue and yellow jacket riding for a jockey who had broken his leg in a hurdle race it was then that mrs o'donagough became sensible of the blessing of having a settlement and thankful was she to the noble father of her spouse for all the care bestowed to prevent his bringing himself again to penury when he was brought home dead to her one fine afternoon having lost his seat and his life together in a leap upon which he had betted considerably more than he possessed she mourned for him as he deserved but not being upon this occasion very nice upon whom she could devolve the task of wearing black she announced to all her sydney friends that it was not the fashion in the old world for ladies of distinction to wear that dismal colour for more than a month for any husband who died by accident and it was therefore once more in all the splendour of her favourite rainbow colouring that she met a few months afterwards her old friend major allen he entered into no very tedious or particular details respecting the reasons for or the manner of his voyage out but testified much cordial satisfaction at the meeting while on the other hand mrs o'donagough was as remarkably communicative as he was the reverse dilating largely on my lord careful attention to her interest on her marriage with his son who had insisted upon coming out in a fit of religious enthusiasm which as she sensibly observed was not at all likely to last it was not very long after this meeting that mrs o'donagough became aware of the truth of the song which says mais on retourne toujours a ses for it was evident that the sentiment which circumstances had so rudely shaken at clifton a year or two before was again putting forth its leaves and flowers and that it depended upon herself alone whether she should not yet become the wife of the accomplished major allen for a few weeks she struggled with her remaining affection but at the end of that time it overpowered all her doubts and fears and only stipulating that as before all she had should be firmly settled upon herself she once more entered the holy state of matrimony in justice to the peerage it ought to be stated that on this her third wedding-day she wore round her neck a very handsome necklace of shell carefully sent out to her by the confidential agent of my lord muckleberry End of chapter eighteen in Volume three End of the Widow Barnaby by Francis Milton Trollop Recorded by Celine Major